Hi, you're about to get smarter in just a few minutes with Curiosity Daily from Curiosity.com. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, Captain Sig Hansen from Deadliest Catch will discuss the surprising ways the coronavirus pandemic has made the world's most dangerous job even harder. Then you'll learn about our moon's comet-like tail and what it looks like when it collides with Earth. Let's satisfy some curiosity. The coronavirus pandemic has affected everything, even things you wouldn't expect. Like, get this, the virus is so deadly that even folks with some of the world's deadliest jobs don't want to mess with it. I'm talking about the crab fishers of Deadliest Catch on Discovery. The newest season premiered just a couple weeks ago, and the season was filmed during the pandemic. And today, Deadliest Catch's Captain Sig Hansen will tell us about the many surprising ways that COVID-19 gave them a run for their money and teach us about sustainability in the process. You know, we were looking at the preview of this season, and uh, it says it's been a tough year for everybody, especially for the crabbing fleet, because due to government-imposed lockdowns, the Alaska Department of Fish and Game weren't able to conduct their summer crab survey. So... We want to understand better, what is a crab survey and why is it so important for fishers? Well, like in our industry for crab fishing, you know, we don't want to overfish, right? So back in the day, we would take over 50% of what they thought was out there and then harvest those. Nowadays, we take 15% of the overall mature male population. Those go to market. So it's very sustainable, number one. That being said, they'll go out and survey the bottom. They'll actually use trawlers. Uh, like a like a drag boat, a, a net, and they'll, they'll they'll scoop the bottom every so many miles and take those numbers and then come up with a figure of what they believe is out there. And then uh, from that number, they they then take another conservative number for what they believe is going to die from natural mortality. And then we end up with our fifteen percent to go catch. So the survey is important because a lot of times when you look at the chart where they've been, you can kind of get an idea what's coming your way from the summer to the winter. Typically, they move down in the winter months. And so you can kind of get an idea what's going on. I don't like to say too much because a lot of the younger fishermen can't figure that out yet. (laughs) You understand what I just said? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But more importantly, the survey is important so that, you know, we don't overfish or underfish. And uh, without the survey, well, now we're kind of in the dark. So we were in the dark because, the, the, you know, the, was the state going to help open? Was the feds going to let it open? And if so, how much are you going to get? So we were in the dark, literally. We were just thankful that uh, there was a, a fishery to be had. So basically, you just couldn't use the data to figure out where there would be the most crabs, like where it would be most efficient for you to go? Yeah, you can kind of see population. So you can see densities. You know, I'm telling you too much again. But you can, look at, <laughs> you can look at the densities and you can kind of figure out how you're going to fish by looking at that information. So it is a little preemptive strike. But when you're looking at that, then, uh, you know, guys that have been doing it a while that know what they're doing, like me, you can kind of figure out, you know, your strategy. Um, The biggest hurdle we had, though, is that, you know, if we don't catch those crabs, if we don't set that precedence, we don't set that standard, that bar, you know, looking at next year and not knowing what COVID is going to do to us, is it going to be another guesstimation? On, on the population. And so nobody wants that. 
And so uh, we want to make sure we catch the crab and they have what's called a CPU, catch per unit. So they, they look at the average caught in all the guys' pots and they figure out, hey, this was a high average. So these guys have done well and gals. And so they'll look at that and they'll feel a little better about our catch per unit. Now, if the catch per unit is low, they're going to say, wait a minute, it took these guys too long. Maybe there wasn't as much crab out there as we had hoped or for whatever reason. And then that can determine your next year's season. And we don't want to see a closure because under the new government uh, regulations, you're looking at a two-year closure. Nobody wants to see that when it's unnecessary. So kind of to summarize then, usually they know how many crabs are down there because they do a survey. And then they can tell you how many crabs you can fish. But because they haven't done a survey, they're just going to use how many crabs you catch to know how many crabs you can catch next year? No, they, what they used was the last two, two, three years data and then figured, look, the stocks were on the increase. Therefore, they were comfortable to give us an increase in quota number. So because of our past history, uh, we were able to have a fishery without the survey. So we were very fortunate that way. Cool. So my big question is, why would a pandemic stop a crab survey? I mean, people are quarantined when they're out at sea, right? Well, they were, but I mean, you know, everybody's, the government was quarantined. It's government that regulates. It's, you know, the state officials. And so if, if you know, because of during, well, when was this? Last, uh, oh, good grief. We're talking April, May, April, May, probably around May, June, July. So during that May month, it was, real tough to even get people to Alaska. You know, it was it was rough to get boats at sea. It was rough to get insurance. So for whatever reason, they couldn't get those crews together to, to do it. You know, I think it was just liability. And, and let's be honest, if you get COVID, hypothetically, if you have COVID and you bring it on board, even after quarantine, for whatever reason, and you're way out there, let's just say you're out by the Russian border, you're two, three days from land and someone is deathly ill, what are you going to do then, right? So I think that was the issue. And, and it just, it's, it's safety first. Which is kind of funny thing to say when you're doing the most dangerous job on the planet, right? We try our best. <laughs> <laughs> Again, that was Captain Sig Hansen, one of the stars of Deadliest Catch. You can watch Deadliest Catch Tuesdays at 8, 7 central on Discovery and catch up on everything you missed on Discovery+. Plus. And remember, you can sign up for your seven-day free trial at discoveryplus.com slash curiosity. The moon has a tail. And astronomers may finally know why the moon's tail flickers. Was that, was that too much? All right, I gotcha. Let me back up. So imagine this. The sky is dark. The stars seem to be twinkling especially brightly because the moon is nowhere to be seen. That's because it's right between Earth and the sun on the other side of the planet from you. So all you see is a deep, dark sky speckled with stars. At least that's all human eyes can see. If you look through specialized cameras, you can see a special spot of light appear in the twilight sky, thanks to the new moon on the other side of the world. Astronomers first spotted it in the 90s, and it didn't take them long to figure out that the spot is really a stream of sodium atoms flying off of the moon, like a tail. 
But only recently did astronomers finally understand why the tail flickers, shining brightly at some times and faintly at others. See, the moon doesn't have an atmosphere, which means it gets pummeled relentlessly by meteorites. That's why it's got all those craters. It turns out that every collision kicks up plumes of sodium atoms. A fire hose of photons from the sun grabs those atoms and sends them flying out behind the moon, like your hair on a speeding roller coaster. That's the tail. Earth isn't involved in this most of the time. But for a few days each month, the moon's tail flies straight into our little planet. At least, it comes close. Earth's gravity funnels the stream of sodium atoms into a narrow beam that wraps around the planet and flows out the other side. It's that beam that astronomers can see in the sky. The moonbeam was originally spotted during a meteor shower in 1998. That led researchers to think that it shines more brightly during meteor showers, seeing as meteors kick up those sodium atoms in the first place. But new data tells a slightly different story. That data comes from a study that analyzed 21,000 images taken at an observatory in Argentina over the course of 14 years. The researchers concluded that a brighter moon spot can coincide with a meteor shower, but the two don't always go together. It looks like those meteors don't always hit the moon hard enough to send extra sodium atoms flying into space and make the spot brighter. It's actually sporadic meteors, space rocks that aren't associated with a meteor shower, that cause the moon spot to really get glowing. These rocks can be bigger and faster and hit the moon with way more force. These new findings probably don't change much in the scheme of things, but they do indicate an exciting possibility. If a big enough meteor hit the moon with enough force, it could knock so much sodium off of the moon that we could look at the sky and see the moon's tail for ourselves. Ashley, what did we learn today? <laughs> well, we learned that crab surveys are important because they tell fishers how much they can harvest so they don't overfish or underfish. Because, you know, sustainability. The surveys also give clues as to where fishers can actually find the crabs. At least the more experienced ones, like Sig Hansen. But last year, the pandemic stopped the survey, which made crab fishing all the more difficult. Even the world's most dangerous job couldn't escape the coronavirus pandemic. Dude, I get so excited when we get emails from Deadliest Catch. Like, hey, do you want to talk to Sig Hansen or somebody about the show? I'm like, yes, somebody that like totally understands the science of fishing and is super enthusiastic about it. Like, we did not have to have him on. I love having him on. I think it's great. He's pretty entertaining. I learned a lot. Did you learn a lot, Ashley? I did learn a lot. Perfect. Glad everyone <laughs> learned a lot. It's almost like that's why we're here. <laughs> we also learned that the moon has a tail. It's made of plumes of sodium atoms that get kicked up by meteorites. Photons from the sun grab those atoms and pull them out into a tail. But for a few days every month, Earth's gravity funnels that stream of atoms into a narrow beam that wraps around our planet and flows out the other side. If a big enough meteor hit the moon hard enough, it could knock up enough sodium for us to see the moon's tail with the naked eye. That'd be pretty rad. That would be. I just love the idea that we have like a poser comet like <laughs> orbiting our planet. It wants to be a comet so bad. You go, little moon. You, you, you be whatever you dream of being. I won't stop you. You just used the phrase poser. <laughs> I haven't heard anyone call someone a poser since 
I played Skate or Die 2 on the Nintendo Entertainment System. It's appropriate for this situation and our poser moon. Sure. <laughs> Today's last story was written by Grant Curran and edited by Ashley Hamer, who's the managing editor for Curiosity Daily. Today's episode is produced and edited by Cody Goff. Don't miss Deadliest Catch tonight at 8, 7 Central on Discovery, and then you can catch us again tomorrow to learn something new in just a few minutes. Deadliest Catch Us. No. <laughs> Stupid. And until then, stay curious. <laughs>